welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. I want to, I want to bring together some things that we've been doing. Who knows that, because I just feel God wants to bring the whole things together and then actually celebrate them in this. This is the most important thing we can do as Christians. We don't very often do it on a Sunday morning. We mostly take communion in our homes because I think that's very like the Last Supper itself, a small group of people. We have communion always available in the prayer room when small groups are up there if they want to take it together. Uh, Thursday nights is a, a time when we do it as well. But we don't do it that often on a Sunday morning because it's difficult sometimes, I think, to give that sense of community when it's a big group. But the Holy Spirit told me to do it today, so <laughs> he obviously doesn't think quite the same as me in every circumstance, so we are, there it is. <laughs> but I, I think there's going to be a real coming together. This is, this, 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 there's a mystery in God. You know, we will never fully understand every cross T and dotted I in God. If we could, he wouldn't be God. He is beyond our complete understanding. He's not beyond understanding, but he's beyond our complete understanding. And because God is persons anyway, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is about knowing him and being in a relationship with him. And as you know, you can, I could read a lot of books about Jossie. It, well, if they'd been published, I could. <laughs> I could read his diary, but then he'd probably get cross. But you could read, let's imagine Jossie's famous, other than just here. And there are books written about him. You could read those books to discover all about him. And you would probably know about him. If it was a bibliography, you'd find out about his childhood and, and his parents, maybe, and where he grew up and all that stuff and what he does now. And you, There is a sense in which you would feel like you were connecting. But you wouldn't really know, Jossie, unless you probably sat down and had a drink together or some food together. You know, that building of actual relationship. And then it would become a, a journeying together. And then you really get to know people when you do things together, don't you? You know, especially if it's like hard work. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> hard work things, when you get together to work hard, somehow you get to know one another better. The other, way, the other place you really get to know people is when you go through stuff that goes wrong together. You know, we often think, oh, I wish my life was just one of all glory and everything working. But, you know, we would never get to know one another on a deeply human level. Uh, it's through the, sometimes it's through the real difficult times that we, we actually get close to one another. As we suddenly realize they're not going to walk away. You know, they are here for me and I'm here for them. And that's kind of where I'm going with this this morning. A lot of what I'm going to say, I think... If you come to every single Sunday, which is the best thing in the world to do, of course, um, if you will have heard most of what I'm saying this morning, but I want to just bring it together and celebrate it in this meal, which, after all, is our meal of union. It's our common union. That's why it's communion. It's who we are together in God, in Christ. And that's just, so that's why we're going to come to this table. But one of the reasons I, we don't celebrate communion as often on a Sunday, because I really feel it has to be central when you do. This is more important. I was saying on Thursday, this is, the only, this is one of the few things that Jesus said, do this. I mean, obviously, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. He, he did tell us to do that. But he didn't give us many sort of practices of things to do. 
he gave the Lord's Prayer, but that was really an example, not just a prayer to be repeated, though obviously that's a good thing to do and to know of heart as well, teach your children it. But, and then he goes on in that to give a lot more examples of what he's talking about. So that's, that's broader. But with this, he actually said with his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. There's something very significant. Another very significant action that has been given to us is baptism. That's something very specific. They're both a bit odd if you think about it. I mean, baptism, uh, especially, uh, you know, it's, well, we go down to the beach and in front of everybody, you walk into the sea, we put, put you under and we bring you up again. And I talked loads about baptism last week. What an odd thing to do. And yet it's part of what it's given us to do. And it shows us that things we do can be very important. But particularly the ones where Jesus says, do this. So there's something very special and significant when we share a cup and bread together. Because it's what Jesus told us to do. It's preaching, just the bread and the wine. It's prayer, just the bread and the wine. It's worship, just the bread and the wine. Because they are so full of significance and meaning to us. And when we really understand God and who he is, they become for us, uh, in a a sense, because the connection is so strong that they are his body and his blood. I'm not talking of a physical change, but there is a spiritual reality where they are for us, his body and his blood. And at the moment we take communion, which we will do when I finish speaking, and we're going to go back into worship with communion, we become one with God in what we're doing. It's our prayer, it's our worship, it's our demonstration of our love for him. But we're there with Jesus at the cross, that moment where his body was broken and his blood was shed on the cross. We're there with him, even though it happened as a physical thing 2,000 years ago. We are outside of time in that moment, and we're there with him at that moment. So this morning, although we're still talking about knowing God from words, what I'm hoping to lead us into is an experience of him. Like I was saying with Jossie, to know Jossie, you've got to experience Jossie. And why would we want to experience Jossie? Well, that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. And even more importantly, why we want to experience God. But actually, if you want to experience Jesus, in this group of people, it's good you would encounter Jesus in Jossie. And anybody else that sat in this room, because that's why we've been put together. We can't just learn about God through just reading even the Bible. God speaks to us. He won't contradict his word, but he will expand and sort of anoint that word so that it becomes bigger and more meaningful to us. Because the word is not just this book. The word is Jesus. And Jesus is a person. And Jesus is one of the three of who God is. So these words could never fully contain, in that sense, what Jesus is. Because they're words, even though they're anointed and special to us. This is not the fullness of God can't be. It's not that there's additional stuff to add to it, it's just that there is more to God than this. That's what I'm trying to say. Because there's so much to know about God. But you'll find that it's in here somewhere, in some way, when you get to that bigness. I'm losing you all. Right. Even I'm not sure what I'm saying here. (laughs) Let me start here uh, in Ephesians, because we've been going through Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, verse 11. So we've actually moved on. Everybody cheer. <laughs> that wasn't much of a cheer. 
thought you'd be excited. <laughs> Thank you. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every word or teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, we're not going to dwell very much on that first part. You could probably preach for a year on the bit about apostles and prophets. It's incredibly significant, and I'm sure we will come back to it. You never know. But just know this. As you see that list of things, Paul is describing the church in Ephesus. And remember, he didn't just write to the leaders. He's writing to everyone. And you may not be an apostle or a prophet, but we are all apostolic. We are all prophetic. We are all evangelistic. We are all pastoral, and we're all teachers. So if you're, an, if you're an apostolic, well, an apostolic is a sent people. We have been sent by God to make Jesus known. Apostolic people are usually the initiators. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a, an anointing to bring something new, to bring a new direction, to bring a new insight. Um, then there's the prophetic. What is it to be prophetic? What it is to speak the word of God under anointing. It may foretell of things to come, but more often it's, it's something that God has got for his people to hear. And that might be in a group of three or a larger group, or it might be to the whole church. That is being prophetic. An evangelist, well, being evangelistic is obviously talking about Jesus and, and making Jesus known. So that's what evangelistic is. Teaching is we can teach one another as we read the word. Everybody can teach everybody else because we can read the word and understand the word and hear God. And of course, what a bizarre church it would be really, wouldn't it, if we didn't care about each other and we didn't look after one another. And that's being pastoral. We've been set free from the model of you should have the pastor of the church that does all these jobs in one. And very often that has deteriorated into the... The, the, the minister of the church is basically a kind of pastor teacher, and we forget the other things. Some of us, God will choose and call and anoint to be raised up out of being evangelistic to be an evangelist, or from being someone who teaches others to being a teacher, or being pastoral to be a pastor. It basically calls you into a position where, it, as it says here, you are building and equipping others. It doesn't necessarily mean you are the person that does it all. In fact, it really doesn't mean that at all. It means you enable others to do it. Now, it would be very strange if a teacher never did any teaching. Obviously, a major way you communicate how to be a teacher is by example, but you are in that teaching. You will be seeking to lift up and equip others, as it says here, for works of service. And so there is difference and variety and diversity, even in the body and even in the way God calls us, which we'll come back to. Why, does he, why do they equip the body? 
for works of service, but also so that we reach unity in faith. Notice how you need everyone to reach that unity. Because it's only as these different people are equipping that we grow into unity together. You cannot get, usually a man, one man leading a church, because that's been the traditional pattern, bring unity in a church. It's, it's impossible in this passage here. There has to be people in leadership of some way or another, but really leadership is just recognizing what somebody is doing in, in someone's life and saying, look, God has raised you up to do this. We'll, we need to release you more and more because there's more and more of that gifting being released. So that we all become mature. And this is a really important point because God wants us as a mature church. I'm not saying we're an immature church, but there is definitely growth for us all coming up. It's going to be a marvelous thing because it's going to release so much fruit and so much peace in us. An infant cries a lot because they're immature. An infant tosses himself on the floor and has a tantrum because they are immature and they don't understand that what their parents meant for them at the moment of the tantrum was much better for them than what they wanted. That's the usual situation of a tantrum. Paul goes from being infants to an an illustration of being tossed back and forth by the waves with no control, blown here by every wind of teaching, as he says. You know, you hear this on the God Channel, or you hear this talk, or you read this book here, and you immediately sort of swing from right over here to right over here, and then you hear something else, and you're back over this side. And God's saying the mature can hear what is of God in these things. You know, very often preachers are very guilty of taking a pendulum and swinging it from one side right over to the other. And sometimes you have to do it because you've got to get people moved from over there. So they give a big shove. And then you'll find five years later they're not teaching from here anymore. They're more back over here again because everybody's over here now. And actually... (coughs) What we want is a mature body that's standing, holding these things in tension and relationship with one another. So, then he, then he says, uh, instead, speaking the truth in love, that's really important. In love, in love, we never, you know, we don't bring a word of correction to somebody because we want to prove the word of God right in the sense of the word's right, you're wrong, you need to be judged. The word of God comes with love. Even when someone is a sinner or doing something really wrong, it should come with love to equip them and to build them up so that they can be fully part of the body. There should be no judgment from the person if that is happening. And it should happen rarely anyway, because if we all see ourselves as correcting everyone, it would be a right mess, wouldn't it? If God shows you something in somebody, the first thing you should do is pray. It's like, well, why have I seen that? It might be that you're just being a judgmental what-so-and-so and you need to repent. It's nothing to do with them at all. It might be that you've seen something that is wrong. Well, the only reason God shows you is for that person to be free from whatever that is. So the next thing to do is you've just got to pray. What do I do then, Lord? Because even if you are at one point going to say something to them that's going to equip them, you want to say at the right moment. The man that was um, 
crippled by the beautiful gate that was healed by Peter. Jesus must have walked past him, and he was never healed. We don't know why, but one thing I do know is that there is a timing in what God does. And usually the timing is to do with what we can receive from him. When the barriers have broken down. And at that moment, Peter was the man to bring the word of healing for him. Now that was physical healing, a different thing. But very similar spiritually in the sense of receiving from God. And from him, that's Jesus that we're being built up in, of course. The whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part, each part, each part, each part does its work. Have you ever got a paper cut? How annoying is that tiny little injury? It affects your brain, it affects your eyes, it affects your thinking. It can affect so many, it can affect how you can write. You know, it's just, and it's such a ridiculously small injury, isn't it? But it affects everything. And actually, that is what it's like as the body. When a small part of us is, is hurting, it does affect the whole body. We don't really see it because we're so used to it. And I think God is encouraging us, not bashing us, not condemning us, not judging us, but God is, gonna, is encouraging us to move to a different place where we are not used to the hurt. Because it's not a regular feature of what the mature are doing. Now, there will always be people joining us that will have issues. But if you have a mature group, they then learn that's what God wants for us. So how is this related to getting to know Jossie? (laughs) Oh, Jesus, sorry. (laughs) But both, as I said earlier. Well, you'd have heard me say this before, but... Let's look at the passage from John, actually, first, that we've read a lot recently, uh, of Jesus appearing in the room to the disciples. You don't need to turn to it. In fact, you might want to keep your finger in just Ephesians and compare what I say there. Um, Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So you've got the Father, you've got Jesus, and you've got the Holy Spirit, Altogether, the Trinity is core to the whole of the Bible. Trinity, the word, was, I think, invented by a guy called Tertullian later. It, but it was just to describe this idea of the fact that it had been revealed that God was plural in persons. One God, plural in persons. And very early on, people began to describe the Trinity. You see, the Trinity wasn't the problem. Sometimes today it seems like it's the problem. The Trinity was the answer to the problem. They wanted to describe and understand how God was. And they found the picture of God as three persons as described here in the Bible. How does that, what does that look like? And that's where they developed this sort of thing. Well, God is always moving and interacting. The Father sends Jesus. The Father sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is moving on different people. Uh, The Holy Spirit is is ministering through different people. The Son is talking to people. The Father is caring for people. Their relationship in heaven is in and out. And they they drew together this picture of sort of the, the Trinity, if you like, the Father constantly moving, and in their relationship, the relationship constantly changing. And if you have a relationship with a person, you don't just sit on a sofa for the rest of your life. 
A, a true relationship is dynamic. You want to do things together, don't you? You don't just want to sit and watch television together. You might do that as part of the doing, but you'll go and do things. It's active. It's dynamic. And the Trinity is the same. They're doing things all the time, and they're moving and changing. And so that was seen... If you start to picture people moving in and out, and moving, that's where it came known as a dance of the Trinity. It was this moving to and fro, interpenetrating, as the theologians like to call it, but in and out, moving around. And do you remember the Greek word was perichoresis? That's what it is. It comes from um, the old or Greek, uh, sorry, the old Orthodox Church Fathers, known as the Cappadocian fathers because they came from that region so we've got that picture I think we probably know that one well by now because I've talked about it a lot but to me it's such a powerful concept because if you're going to get to know somebody you join with the action you join with remember I said about you do something together and this is what it's like to get to know God you can't just get to know God even by prayer though you need to pray but the prayer's got to grow legs You've got to do things with God. You've got, to, you've got to do the things God loves and take part in what he's doing and see what he's doing and you join in. And so we find that we're beginning to join a dance, if you like. If you looked at a picture of your life and all the places you've been, it would be a very complex squiggle of you moving all over the place. So not a particularly organized dance when you just look at the squiggle, but of course it is because God's in control. But in between all that squiggle of you doing all the different things and being in all the different places in your life, because it's about different places, different roles, different responsibilities, different jobs. I mean, there's so many things that are different. It's a multi-dimensional dance. It's not just a squiggle. But imagine the squiggle going all over the place. And that squiggle then, there's all these other squiggles going all around it of all these other people. And the people that you suddenly meet and you find that you're walking together with them that you didn't know before. And yet you realize you've been prepared for that squiggle time. (laughs) And then the Holy Trinity is dancing deftly in amongst all of those, moving in amongst all those people as he sort of weaves something beautiful. It's a good picture to have in your mind because it's dynamic. It's not a static squiggle. It's moving still. Now, Another picture that God gave, and this is closely related to why we're doing communion, that I've talked about before, so just briefly right now, was the story of when, um, in Genesis, where the Lord appears to Abraham, or Abraham as he is at this point. Let me just uh, find it uh, here. The Lord appeared to Abraham and the great trees of Mamre, at the great trees of Mamre. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And you've got this peculiar thing of the Lord appeared to Abraham. And in the same flow, it's suddenly three people, three men. We're not going to look at that this morning, but if nothing else, it was a picture that Abraham was giving, sorry, God was giving to Abraham because Abraham was his friend of who he was. After all, the Hebrew Bible uses the plural word for God all the time. I think it's one of those intuitive God-given things where God reveals something even when people don't know it yet. Uh, Even the great Jewish statement of faith, know that the Lord your God is one. The word used for one 
And this is so cool. I love this. The word used for one is the same word you would use if you would talk about us as one body. It's a collection that makes one. It means there is more, but it is one. And Hebrew has a great word for one that means one in singular, in unity. So if they wanted to say, know that the Lord your God is one single entity, it, like Hebrew was the perfect language for it, much clearer than the English. But they didn't use that word, because the Bible is divinely inspired. They used the word that said one. Now, Hebrew teaching over time, Jewish teaching over time, said that the plural for God was because it showed that God was big and, and magnificent and awesome and, and beyond normal understanding. And that may be, well be true, and it certainly gave them that understanding. But we also know why God did that. Because of the revelation that was to come. That God is more than one. One God, three persons. So these three persons are there. And as I say, we don't need to go. I, 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 the more I read it and the more I, I know God, I, I kind of feel that this is the Trinity. But if you would prefer it, and that freaks you, just think of it as Jesus and some angels. It's still God showing something of himself to Abraham. Three persons is a bit of a coincidence, even if it's just Jesus and two, and two angels. Or three angels. Some people won't, don't even like the idea of it being Jesus. Personally, I think God can do anything he wants. <laughs> but God is declaring himself to Abraham. Abraham recognizes him as this, these visitors as incredibly important because Abraham himself is an important man. But he calls him Lord and he offers him a meal and Abraham serves him at the table. He doesn't join him at the table. He is God's friend. But he doesn't have the revelation yet that he can actually join God at the table. We have two illustrations going simultaneously here. It could get quite messy, a dance and a table. Unless it's a wedding, and then it's fine. But there is a table. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sat at the table, or representatives of. But there was a space for Abraham, but he didn't join. It probably was because it wasn't the time to join. I don't know. I can't see that God would have turned him away if he felt he could sit down. But there was to come a time to truncate a lot of things where God would be sat at a table with his friends and they would eat together. And then suddenly that meal would take on a whole new significance of their connection. And this meal is at the center of the dance because it's at this meal, when we take this later, this bread and this wine, we're reminding ourselves that we are at one with God. We've joined the dance. That this table is open to every single person on this planet. It's for the people that know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And everyone is welcome to declare Jesus as their Lord and Savior and come to the table. No one has said, no, you can't take part. It just says, this is the way to take part. And I want to just go a little bit further. Because we begin to see that what happened, you have the Garden of Eden over here, 
where originally humanity in Adam and Eve are working, walking in perfect relationship with God. Sin comes in the breaking of that relationship. And God begins to show the way to be restored to him. He can't just make it because love doesn't control. He can't even immediately do it because we would never have got it. And so there is a journey that begins. And during that journey, God, in this story, is meeting with Abraham. But Abraham isn't yet sitting at the table. But there would come a time when God would say, look, you're welcome at my table. In fact, to enable you to sit at my table, I am going to shed my blood and my body is going to be broken to enable you to have this place here. And that's where we can sit now. And we are reconnected with God. So why have we have, do we sometimes have this struggle with understanding God as three persons, one God, as opposed to any other understanding? One of the reasons we... Uh, because the, the, the three, you understand the three by understanding their connections. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three are not separate. They are completely in unity. And you understand the three by understanding that they are in relationship. But there was a big problem in the church for a long time because, especially in the Western world, we have adopted a lot of Greek philosophy in the way we think. You've probably heard of some Greek philosophers. Maybe, maybe not. Aristotle, Socrates, Plato. Doesn't matter if you have or you haven't. But Aristotle, for example, is very influential in the way we think today because philosophy is about teaching you how to think. And so if you teach a group to think, they pass that on to the next and on to the next and on to the next and on to the next. And Aristotle, well, the short version is, in his philosophy, something, an object, substance, was what was important. Having something in your hand, like this microphone, was a higher level of being than something ephemeral that you couldn't touch. You still see it in science today. You still see it in people who don't believe today. Well, I need to see the facts. Science is about facts. It's about real things. Faith is about unreal things. It's kind of the thinking. It's Aristotelian thinking. So relationship was actually down the bottom of his list in importance. Relationships, very ephemeral, hard to quantify, not so important. Possessions, what you have, important. And you get defined by who you are, what, what you have. You recognize this kind of thinking? <laughs> the job you've got, the possessions you have, <coughs> well, he must be a cool guy, he's got an amazing car, that kind of thinking. It's Aristotle, it's thousands of, <laughs> thousands of years old. But what God shows, and he particularly shows in the Trinity, is that the most important thing in the universe is relationship, connection. Completely the opposite way around to Aristotle. And he would place possessions very low down on that list, wouldn't he? 
Because God knows the true value of everything, the true energy of everything, the true power of everything, is the connections they have. So if that's true, which I think it is, quite does show it quite clearly in the Bible, where would you, you'd expect to see evidence of that, not just in the word, but in the world around us. Well, you do see a glimpse of it in human relationships. People know that love is powerful and strong. And many, I think it would be rare for someone reaching the end of their life to be going on about how wonderful all their possessions were. Most people, in my experience, towards their end of their lives, what's precious is the people you love and care and the relationships you've got. So the world does know that Aristotle is wrong. But it takes something dramatic often to show that. It's connections. That's why you can understand more about God by being connected to the other people around you. That's what a person truly is, as opposed to an individual. An individual who is the old creation, in the new creation as a person. It's the relationships that we have. Now, why do you want them? Because there is the energy. If you are not connected, you get lonely. You get miserable. Now, you say, well, some people like you know, that space and that quiet. Yes, they do, but they still need connections and people. And that we have a epidemic of loneliness in the world right now because the world is so powerfully down the route of you need to be an individual, stand on your own two feet. Where actually we don't need to be independent, we need to be interdependent. But that feels costly and vulnerable and weak. But actually in God it's the strength. It must be, because Jesus is connected. Jesus has never been independent. Has he? The Father's not independent. The Holy Spirit is not independent. Independence is actually a fallen creation. Connection and interdependence and leading one another is the strength of what God has given us, which is why it's been so powerfully ripped away from people, because we live in a fallen world. We know the power of connection. It enables, and it can, be, it can be used in bad ways. The power of connection is in the story of the Tower of Babel, of the misuse of just human connection without God. So it's powerful. But we live in a world, generally speaking, where connection is no longer valued in the way that God has given it to us. Even in, even in the political world, there's so much disconnection. So you'll find that somebody who is in the Labour Party and somebody who's in the Conservative Party, there was a time when they would have argued and fought, but there was a common sense of purpose as the people of the United Kingdom. Now it's much more they just hate one another and, and, and talk badly about one another. I think it was Socrates, another Greek philosopher, that said, when the intelligence for debate has been removed, all that is left is flinging insults. Interesting that they were saying that so long ago. We don't really change as human beings. <laughs> we like to think we have. It's the whole feeling of evolution. The great thing about evolution is we're more evolved than earlier human beings. No, we're not. We just have more stuff, which Aristotle says is better. And God says, well, actually, what you really want is relationship. I'm not saying science is bad. Of course I'm not. In fact, let's talk some science. All right? I have here water. 
Because you can see that God as a creator has shown us how important connection is in so many different ways. And if you're one of those persons that fell asleep in science classes every time at school, don't worry, this is very brief. (coughs) So I've got a glass of water. How many glasses of water have I got? One glass. But inside this glass is probably approximately one trillion water molecules. Because obviously water, well, maybe not obviously, I don't know, but everything around you is made up of molecules. Okay, and so the molecules that go towards the wood, there's loads of them here in this, and so I've got wood, I think. (laughs) And the same with water. If I take a drink, I'm drinking hundreds of thousands of them. There's only one lot of water. Well, that's all very interesting. But if you remember some of your school science, you'll know that molecules aren't the smallest thing you can go to, are they? Next, you go down to atoms. And if we could look at the water down to an atomic level, we would see it's made of hydrogen and oxygen. H2O. Two lots of hydrogen, one lot of oxygen, and you have water. If you have different quantities of those atoms, you won't have water. You have something else. And so water, the one glass of water, all those molecules, but even if you could distinguish a molecule well, you can, scientifically, you then find that breaks down into more. You've only got one molecule, but suddenly you've got three atoms. But then, you could take one of the atoms, for quite some time thought to be impossible, but then you find you can split the atom, and you discover inside the atom there's even smaller particles. I mean, if you imagine that a molecule is approximately... Well, officially, it's about one picometer across. A picometer is one trillionth of a, of, a, of a meter. That's a one followed by 12 zeros. It's American numbers, but that's what's mostly used now. You think that's how many, there's one trillion water molecules in a meter. How tiny is that? But yet, yeah, you can break open one of those, and suddenly you've got atoms. You can break open the atom, and you've got... Protons, neutrons, neutrons, and electrons. And the interesting thing about those protons, those neutrons, and electrons, you know what they're doing? Rapidly moving around each other. You suddenly got another picture of the Trinity. And in fact, the whole energy of a molecule, of an atom, is in what keeps those tiny parts together. They're constantly in movement and relating to one another. You know, they're flying over here, but then they go this direction because that's there. And you actually have a a picture of community and of the Trinity. I mean, you can still go smaller than protons and and, and electrons. If you start going deeper then, you're going to find what are called quarks. Up quarks, down quarks, gluons. Gluons are what glue them all together. It is, that's really what they are. And you you, you can keep going and going and going and getting more and more and more theoretical. But at that level of protons, neutrons, and electrons, what is fascinating is what keeps them together is what scientists call nuclear force, because you're at the neutron level. And that that nuclear force is not in the protons and the electrons, it's the connections. And so science is showing you that actually it's not substance that's important, it's the connections. 
even in that level. If you go into the solar system, you'll find that all the planets float, go around the sun because of gravity. Those huge planets. Can you imagine? The planet Earth is bombing along through space at however many miles an hour I can't remember. It's massive, well, compared to us. It's always someone bigger than you. But the planet Earth, bombing through space, but it can't fly off and do what it wants because there, it has a relationship with the sun that says, nope, you're going around me. But it doesn't just affect, it's not just affected by the sun. All the other planets affect it. Even the moon affects the earth, and the earth affects the moon, obviously. Even though they're so big, they can't get away from what is really important is connections. You think, well, what about interstellar space in between the solar systems? Well, there you'll find, if you look out into space, you can only see 20% of what exists, even if you could see everything. Because 80% of what's out there, according to scientific measure, is dark matter and dark energy, and we can't see it. It's just missing in all the measurements. And it's the great challenge to actually be able to quantify it. But anyway, we're getting slightly off. But even there, what I'm saying is, out in interstellar space, it's not empty. It's full of energy and dust clouds and connections. And stars and the dust that's in between the, the, the planets is still affected by all the other stars in the universe. Even if it's only minutely, it's still all there. And of course, we're all... It's all, yes, it's all connected. That'll do. I'll get too excited about the science and not go anywhere else. But it, it's just powerful that that in that is showing where is the energy. It's in the connections. Because when I, what happens is the, pro, the protons, the neutrons, and the electrons, they have to come together to form that atom. And that takes a massive amount of energy. Have you ever got two magnets? And, try, and you put the same poles together. And if they're really powerful magic, it's magic, magnets, it's like this, isn't it? That's a magnetic force. But on electrons, it's, a, it's the same sort of thing, but it's electric force. And they, they don't want to go together. So like you with your magnets, you push them together. It's similar to that with the electrons. They're pushed together. It takes all that energy. So now all that energy is now stored in this spinning, buzzing thing. And so scientists come along and say, well, if we can split that up, we can get the energy back out, and that's where you get nuclear power and nuclear weapons. And you know how powerful they are. And it comes from breaking apart those tiny, tiny things, because that's how powerful connection is. It's there. God put it in creation. He put it there for scientists to discover. It's powerful stuff. So... That dynamic relationship of things moving in and out is in everything. And if we truly want to live in everything God has for us, we've got to be that body that it talks about in Ephesians. Because as a toe on your own, you're not going to do very much. You're just going to atrophy and die. A toe is only of use when it's connected. The toe's only going to live when it's connected. The toe's only going to experience the, the sheer joy of being filled with blood and having a sock put on it, if it's connected. God put all these things like this on purpose. He's showing us in a toe, and he's showing us even on an atomic level of nuclear energy. He's showing us even in space that what really matters 
is the connections, because that's where the energy is. And if there's energy, there's freedom. But finally, as you come together in this connection, you might start to think, oh, does that just mean we all become one amorphous blob? Well, remember the atom. It's full of different neutrons and protons. Remember the body. Every bit about it is different, but there's just one body. Look at creation. Did God make trees and flowers? No. He made that, tree, that one and that one and that one, and, that, and they're all different. And there's so many flowers, scientists spend forever classifying them and getting excited because they've made a new discovery of yet another one. To me, that's God just saying, I love diversity. But in the connections, we become one. We don't become an amorphous blob. A person in Christ is beautiful in who they are. And one last bit. I like this. I only saw this today. In this God loves diversity. What, what will happen when we're in heaven? Because you can have a picture of all in white, all in a big worship concert or something like that. Maybe you're a bit more refined than that. But I was looking in this, I was reading John 14 with what I've been talking about today. And in there is the bit that's often read when there's a funeral. In my father's house there are many mansions or dwelling places. Rooms is a bit cutting it short, really, for what the Greek means. Mansions is actually better. In my father's house there are many mansions, Jesus says to his disciples, and I'm going away to prepare them for you. Well, if we were just going to be all one amorphous blob, or just all one people, why would we need a place for us? And there's something right us. Even in heaven, we will still be who we are. Why will we still be persons? Because there are three persons in the beginning. God is all about persons. I'll still be... I mean, it says we won't be married any longer, so I guess it's kind of different and new, but you'll still be who you are, but who you were really supposed to be. We will meet the perfect Sally. <laughs> and the perfect Pete. <laughs> Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? It's going to be, we really will meet the persons that we've been separated from. Because God is about persons. And if you then think, well, so if God cares about persons enough to say, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to prepare a mansion for you, I wouldn't tell you this if it wasn't going to happen. He even emphasizes it. So that's why I'm going to go. If he's doing that for, for these people, he values persons. We will always be valuable as persons. When, when it talks of Jesus' body, it's not just going to be something where you can't recognize the individual or the least the person parts anymore, because God is persons himself, just perfectly connected, perfect energy. So, we're going to go back to worship, we're going to go back to this table. But as we As we take the bread and the wine today, I think often, and it's just quite right thing to do, we'll have some people here and you'll come and take it. When, when Jesus says, remember me, do this in remembrance of me, remember that we are his body. And when we take the bread, his body, you're thinking about the body. 
that God has placed us part of, the local church that he's put us in. Because it's those local church and those connections that will give us the energy, the freedom, the power to do what he's called us to do. He didn't call individuals to do it on their own. He called people who are separate persons, but together they are the body of Christ. When you drink the wine, which is the blood of Christ, this is what enables us to be forgiven. Not literally this bottle, but the, the, the blood of Jesus. It's, it's this that gives us that connection restored. We get back into the Garden of Eden relationship with God. Because we're not his servants. We're not just even friends of God like Abraham. We're his children which we read all about in that first part of Ephesians. If you've forgotten that, go and read verses 3 to 14 of chapter 1 in Ephesians and discover how incredible it is what God says about you being called, prepared for this time, a masterpiece, chosen. So, we will worship, but as we worship and as we take this, it will all be one thing together. Jesus broke the bread because he was showing them that his body was going to be broken. The rolls here are gluten-free if it's something that you need. And the wine is drunk. Remind us of the, wine, the blood that was spilt. But it celebrates the restoral of connection with God, intimacy with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the working out of that as the people of God. It's a complete mindset change compared to the world. Complete change. And at times it's hard because it's not how we've been taught. We've been taught by Aristotle that things are more important. What if the most valuable thing in the world, other than God himself, was sat right next to you and in front of you and behind you and over there? And it would be the connections you have with those people. What if the freedom that you want is in the people in this room because they are in Christ. Even the healing comes in the connection. Praise God. Can we have a worship team forward? And the, the guys that are going to do communion for me can go on either side. And what we'll do is we'll keep it very informal. <laughs> Joanne and Richard are on that side and Ron and Deborah if you come on this side and then you can just go to one side or the other um, as we go into worship. We're not going to get you to come up row by row. You can just sort it out amongst yourselves because after all we are community. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.